Amen. Awesome. So glad you're here today. The youth are meeting downstairs now, so we won't even tell you that every week. It should be on the screen, and you should just exit right after the singing so you can join them downstairs. Thank you. Glad you guys are here. Thanks for joining us. I am looking forward to the day when everybody's back. I know we have a great online attendance, and we're grateful for that. So glad that God had us start live streaming several years ago, so that when all this happened, we weren't trying to figure it out on the fly. Glad that we're doing that. Glad that ministry is available. Thankful for it. Want it to continue. But today, I'm glad that you guys are with us too. So great to see you guys. It's uh, I'm a I'm a people person, and so for the eight weeks we were only online, and I was preaching only to the camera. And uh, James and Heather were usually back there in the tech, and sometimes Shaylin. A few others filled in different time frames, but it was real difficult at first for me to get my head wrapped around the fact that I'm, I'm talking to you, but you weren't there. It's kind of you know, just it was just hard. Glad you're here. Thanks for staying awake. All right, coffee shops open. Glad for that. Glad for the other things that have started. It's great to be with you, and I love you. I can't wait till everybody's relaxed and calm and we can just go ahead and hug and handshake and do all that stuff. I know a lot of you are doing it now, but just want you to know that God loves you. Glad you're here. Can't wait to get past all this stuff. But in the moment, God's doing something. He is working right now. And as we look in the Word of God today, I want to challenge you with His Word. We're going to visit Pentecost, someplace we were at a couple weeks ago physically on the calendar, and we preached about it, of course, because it's an amazing day. It's the fulfillment of the promise that Christ said would come upon the believers when the Holy Spirit would come upon us. And so in Acts chapter 2 in Pentecost, we had the fulfillment of, of the redemptive plan of God being initiated on that very day. The Holy Spirit falls and He's in the indwelling the believers. They go out and preach Jesus. You already know this. We went through that on that day. And the first day of Pentecost, when Jesus is being preached as the Messiah, the Savior of the world, 3,000 people were saved and baptized the same day. All right, just for some of y'all that have signed up for baptism, I know been asked a few times today and last week, we are planning to do a baptism probably sometimes in July, just to get that out there, okay? But I want you to know what happened was they were saved and they were baptized, and the Word of God says they were added to the church. So what that is, the adding to the church is the believers being part of the body of Christ as a whole. Not just in an individual place, but it was the body of Christ as it was being established and born in the city. So what happens is, the Holy Spirit falls, Jesus is preached, people are saved, their lives are changed, and God is stirring something in the midst of chaos and confusion in the city of Jerusalem. As the message of Jesus hits the streets then, things are happening and the community and the city of Jerusalem begins to notice this group of people who are Christ followers. God's word tells us that the body of Christ began to function in such a way where they were learning what Jesus taught, living that way, sharing in meals together in their homes, helping the poor in the community by bringing money and resources together to meet the needs of the community around them and their brokenness. And because of the activity, which was love, which was Jesus in action, of the body of Christ, the whole city of Jerusalem took notice that something was happening. Church, I want you to know what was happening was a move of God in a broken culture looking for answers. Sound familiar? Chapter 3. So Pentecost happens, the church is born, it's engaging community. Peter and John are heading to the temple, 
and they're going in there for prayer time. Three o'clock in the afternoon was a regular part of the practice of Judaism to come before the Lord in prayer. So Peter and John are going to church, going in there for that prayer time, and this guy's begging on the side of the, the gate there. He was crippled, and he had his little sign he was flying like, help me. Church, it's amazing stuff that's happening here. Peter and John like look at him, and Peter speaks and says, I don't have any money for you, but I do have something you need. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he takes him by his hand and lifts him from his place of brokenness. The dude stands up for the first time in the 40 years of his life. And as he is helped to his feet and he's able to stand, he begins to get excited. And the Word of God tells us that he began to jump up and down. And he began to dance and he ran into the temple. Man, people were looking and saying, I think I just walked... I know that guy. So when this guy's life has changed completely, everybody looking comes running over to see what's happening. They just walk by him. Now he's jumping around and excited and getting loud when it's prayer time. All right? So this is the deal. God's Word tells us it was 40 years he was like this. Church, just a side note. You drive around Tucson... There's common corners and places that people fly signs and ask for help, right? And if you drive a certain way for a certain amount of time, you begin to know who those people are. You recognize their face. You see them. All right, so just think about this. This dude was doing this for 40 years. So anybody that went to church through that gate knew him. So when they come together and they gather, and God's word tells us in, in chapter 3 that something happened. See, God was moving. God was doing something, and it was just a normal day for prayer. Peter and John did not go there to heal that guy. Peter and John didn't go there to preach about Jesus. They went there to pray. But God was doing something. God was up to something. God was doing something in the midst of a normal day in the lives of people. And this is what God's Word says in Acts chapter 3, verse 12. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. Wake up, church. Man, we need to see the opportunity that is right now in front of our face. Peter was like, something's happening. It's right here. I've got an audience. What is he going to do? We keep reading those scriptures. It says, people of Israel, what is so surprising about this? And why do you stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. So let's pause. We're going to keep reading, but just pause. So, crowd's excited. They want to know what's happening. First thing that Peter does is he takes the opportunity that he has deflects people looking at them because people's normal reaction at first is to look at the person that God is using. He says right now, hey, don't look at us. We didn't do this by any godliness or power. I want you to know who is behind what you're seeing. The God of heaven who gave us Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's who's up to something. And it's because of Jesus this stuff's happening right now before your eyes. 
So he took the deflection off himself, off the other things, and he wanted everybody to understand it's about Jesus and it's God's plan. All right. For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all of our ancestors, who brought, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected his holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this fact. Church, I want you to see the boldness of the message. I'm not trying to convince you of something. I'm not asking you to believe in a fairy tale. Listen, I want you to know God did this. Jesus is alive. I'm telling you he's alive because I know it for a fact. He was calling people to understand this is serious. This is what it's all about. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Friends, I realize that you and your leaders did it to Jesus. What you did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Now, repent of your sins, turn to God so that your sins might be wiped away. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a powerful truth that you and I need to own and understand what is going on right here. The miraculous healing was not the focus of Peter's message. Please understand this. Peter didn't preach about miracles. He didn't elevate healing. He talked about the fact that prophecy was fulfilled, but the message was not about prophecy. The focus of the message was not about the apostles, their ability to heal, the miracles, or the fact that they knew prophecy. The focus of the message was faith in Jesus' name did what you're experiencing and seeing with your own eyes. The fact of the matter is they talked about what God said He would do through the prophets and the point of the whole message was the Messiah Jesus is what it's all about. And because of Him and through Him, you now must repent of your sin and turn to God. Church, it's all about Jesus. The main point of the message is the Messiah Jesus had made possible a relationship with God. God's plan of redemption is now available. That was the point of the message. Let's reflect back to Pentecost, Acts 2 again. Let's go into Peter's message of the day of Pentecost as he's speaking to the people that are gathered. Verse 36. Let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. See what the message is about? Jesus. Peter's word pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Look at that, folks. It's the same message that we found in both circumstances. The action steps, if you will, of both messages are the same. Repent of your sin, turn towards God. Church, 
We have a lot of people that repent. Probably all of you repent every night before you go to bed. A lot of people repent, but we forget the main point of the message. The point of the message, the point of forgiveness, the point of repenting of sin is that we might turn towards God. It's about a relationship with God that is now made possible because of Jesus. It's not just repenting. It's turning. The church has forgot the turning part. We keep telling people, repent, repent, repent. And they go out and they sin and they sin and they sin. And they're like, why do I bother repenting when I don't change? Hey, wake up! You've got to turn to God. You've got to turn away from your sin. It's all about Him. Now we are able to have a relationship with Him. Come on, church! As he preaches this message, he goes on. He tells each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away. That's me and you. It's all available to me and you. All who have been called by the Lord our God. So as we look at Pentecost, we'll notice again, He did not preach about tongues, nor did he talk about it, other than the fact that this is a witness of what God said through the prophet Joel. The message was not about the prophecies, only the fact that all the prophecies talked about what God was doing right now. The Holy Spirit was speaking through them, and he was not the focus of the message. All these things work together for one purpose. The apostles, the Holy Spirit, tongues, the message, all of it worked for one purpose. That one purpose was Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And the fact that everyone that was hearing that message needed to repent of their sin and turn to God for relationship. I think we get it, right? Same message, same focus, same purpose. Help people understand they need Jesus. They have to repent and they have to turn to God. So a turning away from myself, my sin, my life into the life that God has called me into through Jesus Christ. So it's not just repent, It's repent and turn. So the healing of the crippled guy takes place. And it tells us in the word of God that 5,000 men were now in the church. So they're not even counting the women and children. That's no disrespect. What it's telling us is the numbers were growing so fast and so large that they did not have the calculations for it. In those days, in their culture, the men and the women sat separately. That was part of what they did. So it was pretty easy to number the guys The women and the children were over on the other side or in the back, wherever they were. That's the way it was. So they say there's 5,000 men. So if only half of them are married, you know this. The number now in the church is around 10,000 at least. That's a very uh, low guess. So we're looking at this happening. So this is what's taking place now in this city of, this is only the city of Jerusalem so far. The day of Pentecost happens, 3,000. Now it's just like a few days later, Peter and John are going to pray, and this happens, and now the church is just like exploding. In the culture of Jerusalem now, God's at work. There is a move of God happening, and people are talking about it. So not only have the religious leaders now become aware that God's up to something, even though they're rejecting Jesus, they're aware that something is happening in their city. That's probably the better way of saying it. The political powers are seeing something's up in the city. The citizens of the city are knowing something's up because the church of Jesus Christ is engaging culture out in the streets. They're meeting people's needs. So the, the leading 
priests in the hierarchy of the church had already told Peter and James and all those guys they shouldn't preach in Jesus' name, but they are, so they have them arrested. And they're questioning about the healing of this crippled guy because everybody knows it happened right there at the temple, so everybody's talking about it. So they arrest him and put him in prison, and it's at night, so they are going to bring him out and question him in the morning. So now the Word of God tells us the apostles, so it's all 11. Maybe Matthias was there with them, so maybe 12. He took Judas's place. So they're all in prison because God's doing something, right? So if you're an ex-prisoner, I want you to know you're in good company. The disciples were in prison too. God's not limited by any of that. God's a redeemer. He's amazing. All right, so check that out. It's so cool. This is what happens. An angel of the Lord comes and he opens the prison door and says, Acts 5.20, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. Church, please hear this. Go give the people the message of life. They're going back there and they're being told to tell people about Jesus. So they go down and they head to the temple because the angel tells them to and they head on down there. That's where they were just arrested because they were preaching Jesus. And they're sent right back down there to do it again. So they begin preaching Jesus and this is what it tells us in Acts 5.25. Then someone arrives with starting news. The high priests and the elders are all together. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Then they brought the apostles before the high council where the priests confronted them. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. Please hear that, church. Listen. These guys would not even say the name of Jesus. They wouldn't even say it. We told you not to speak in his name again. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. I say, praise God, that's awesome testimony right there. Yeah. Listen. The apostles didn't have to tell them what they were doing. They already knew what they were doing because they were seeing the results of people teaching Jesus in the streets because it was affecting the church. It was affecting the political realm. It was affecting everyday citizens' lives. There was something happening in the citizens in the streets of that city where these people knew what was going on and they were testifying a move was happening in the streets. And that move was a move of God. When God moves, people know it. Even if they reject Him and don't want to know who it's about, they still know. Church, here's the thing we need to understand as we address this. The thing they wanted stopped was the teaching and preaching in Jesus' name. This has always been the focus. It will always be the focus. Anything but Jesus. If our message points to something other than Jesus, our message is out of focus. Please hear this. I'm not saying we can't preach or teach on other subjects, but the subjects we teach and preach through God's Word should always lead us back towards lift up or glorify Christ. And if they don't, the message is out of focus and it's not right. It's God's Word, 
that when God does something, it's always to the purpose of His redemption of humanity, and that redemption is only made possible because of Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ. And therefore, if the message is leading us in another direction, it's a, it's a wrong message, and it's taken us where we shouldn't go. This is the problem that we see happening right here. They're like, you can't teach in His name anymore. Listen to what's going on around us, church. Verse 29. But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed Him by hanging Him on a cross. Then God put Him in the place of honor at His right hand as Prince and Savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey Him. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the third time that Jesus is being preached and every single time we are brought to an action step that tells us that we need to repent, to be forgiven, to understand that it is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, that's the only way it happens. So I think as we look at this, God did this and we know it. They tell him God did this. They said it happened through the prophets. It's God's plan. This is what he's doing. And this is what's happening today. So we already understand the message is repentance through Jesus Christ turning to God, right? Are we getting it? Only about four of you. So if we're not getting it, I mean, I'll give you more illustrations, but I don't want to keep going. All right, on that point. So the council leaders don't know what to do. They can't deny the fact that the dude that was begging at their gate for years is now walking around. They can't deny that what happened was real. They don't like it. They don't want it continuing. So this is what they tell them. They call the apostles in and have them flogged. Now we don't normally know what that word would mean. So they stripped off their clothes and they beat them. So they beat them physically so they were bleeding and wounded. And then, this is what they tell them. They ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let him go. Never. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. (laughs) See, church, I, I want you to understand there's opposition to preaching Jesus. There is opposition. They said, never again. So how did they respond to that? Not only did they rejoice that they suffered for him, but let's read that next verse. This is the way God's word reads right there. It says, The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. They were just told, never again speak in the name of Jesus. This is how that continues. And every day (laughs) in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. Isn't that awesome? Well, praise God, man. What a response. Shut up. Never do it again. And they continued every day. Every day. There wasn't even one hiccup, one bump, no moment of silence. They were like, I don't care what you say. We know what God says. And we're going to teach people about Jesus because without Him, there is no forgiveness of sin. There is no turning to God. There is no restoration of life. You have to turn to Him. 
And we can't be silent about that message. So as we see this unfolding, it's a continual message of believers throughout Acts. As people come to faith, they share the good news with their family. They share it with their friends, their neighbors from temple, from the temple of God. So it's in God's house, but it also says house to house. It's all about Jesus. So it's happening, not just on church days, but it's happening every day. So what's happening here? This is the same thing that's been all along. There's an anti-Jesus message from spiritual leaders. It breaks my heart. I just want you to know this, that there's still an anti-Jesus message from spiritual leaders in our world today. There is an anti-Jesus message in political worlds. There are spiritual leaders, political leaders, church leaders, church people who give an anti-Jesus message. But Jesus is being preached and proclaimed and lives are being changed. And so what happens is persecution comes against the church. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks. Nero brought it about politically. The church is the one that started the persecution and the opposition to the message of Jesus. The apostle Paul, who was then Saul, began the persecution, killing Christians, taking them from their homes, taking them from their jobs, taking everything they had, separating families. But that anti-Jesus message that started in the hierarchy of the church spread into the political world, remember as Nero began his persecution of Christians and it began to spread as the anti-Jesus message spread along with the message of Jesus. (laughs) So, we have some things going on here. The message of believers and the message of the church is supposed to be Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Okay? The enemy wants us to be distracted off focus and talking about anything other than Jesus. So even within Christian communities, oftentimes we find ourselves talking about other things than Jesus. We don't hear the message often about repentance, turning from sin. We hear a message that God loves us. We hear a message that Jesus is the answer. But we've left off the repentance and turning to God, which was the heart of the message. See, it's the heart of why Jesus came. Church, please realize that prior to Jesus, sin had removed the relationship we had with God. Now, only because and through Jesus Christ can we enter back into relationship with God that we were made for. The only way that relationship can happen is when we not only repent of our sin, receiving Christ as Savior, but the turning towards God part, the connection, the relationship, the life. Now, the enemy wants us talking about everything but Jesus. As you look at the world around you, you will find entire church movements You will find church leaders, pastors, clergy people. You will find individual believers who are giving their lives to the fringes of Christianity. Please hear me correctly when I say that. We have movements and separation of the church of Jesus Christ over the fringe stuff. And we have made the fringe stuff the focus of churches and people and believers rather than Jesus being the focus. 
So you'll have the manner in which you're baptized as a separating aspect. How you interpret and believe the words of tongues as a separating aspect. How often you practice communion as a separating aspect. Whether you offer communion in the church at the front with clergy only as a separating aspect. What I'm telling you, church, is those are aspects of our Christian life. But they are not the message of salvation. Jesus Christ is the center. And when we make these things the focus, we are going right along with the enemy's agenda. Because people need to hear about Jesus. Not about baptism, Lord's Supper, tongues, prophecies, or any other stuff. They need to know. They need to repent. And that Jesus Christ is the answer and He alone is the Savior of the world. Man, we're so busy talking about all that stuff. We've confused ourselves. We have people in the church that don't know what they believe. Man, it's all about Him. It's right there in God's Word. When we read the Bible, we see it. Every message, every time, everybody speaks in God's Word throughout the church's birth in Acts and then later in the, in the epistles. It's always pointing people back to Jesus. See, the enemy's fine with us talking about anything else. So let's, let's just look back in the Word of God for, a, for an instance. By the way, I'm not saying don't talk about any of that stuff. We need to teach about it. Don't misunderstand me. I'm saying we've made that the focus instead of Jesus. That's what I meant. Let's keep going. The religious leaders, when they call them in, you'll notice this now. These are spiritual people. Don't misunderstand that. The leading priests and those that were in authority in the church were spiritual people. And they believed in God. They did not, however, believe in Jesus. That's a huge issue. Okay. So here's what's happening. The religious leaders call the apostles in. A miracle's happened. They've talked about the fulfillment of prophecy. They've, they've talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit has come. They talk about all these things. And yet, when the council brings them in front of them, they do not tell them, don't go and perform any more miracles. They didn't say that. A miracle happened. And because of the miracle, people were believing in Jesus, but they didn't tell them, go do, don't go do any more miracles. They did not tell the apostles, don't go teach people about the prophecies. They did not tell them, go tell them that you know the Holy Spirit. The only thing they said not to do was to teach and preach in the name of Jesus. Only one message did they oppose. In the world around us, we are very spiritually minded. Our country is very spiritual. Most of the people in our nation believe in God, just like these people. But I tell you what, when you bring up Jesus, there's a dividing line. There is, church. There is a dividing line, and there's a moment of truth in that very instance. And people are very comfortable talking about God, stuff, spiritual things, angels, spirits. People are very comfortable. Well, you just bring up Jesus in the middle of the conversation and watch people start to fidget. People start getting uncomfortable. Because all of a sudden, something has changed in the spiritual element. Something has changed in the spiritual environment. You see, what happens is this. Jesus, uh, I want to say this in the right way. Jesus is a confronting message. 
Jesus is a uncomfortable message. Jesus is a in-your-face message. You don't have to be in people's face. It is. When you bring up Jesus, that's where people start to get offended. Come on, you know that's true. If you don't know it's true, you haven't talked about him. (laughs) All right. So our country is very spiritual. There are very few atheists. As a matter of fact, in my lifetime, I've never met a true atheist. I haven't. I've met people claim to be atheists. My own father-in-law claimed to be an atheist. He said that. But what I've found is every atheist I've ever had a conversation with is actually angry at God about something. Something happened in their life and they blame God. And if this bad thing happened, then God can't be real, so I ignore his existence. But they know he's real. There's no such thing as an atheist. I don't believe that. All right. So they can believe their lie long enough that they actually believe their lie. But in the beginning, they didn't believe it. All right, but let's not talk about that. Let's go on. The spiritual environment. Um, it's easy for us now to look at certain religions and certain people and certain teachers and say, you're right, they really don't point towards Jesus. They're not calling people to repent. But let's talk about me and you for a minute. Look at your own conversations. How many of your conversations lead towards or are focused on Jesus Christ? I'm talking about your spiritual conversation. I don't mean you have to bring it in like if you're talking about the score of the game. You don't have to say, you know, the Cowboys won, thank you, Jesus, you know, just to try and be spiritual or anything. You know what I mean? That wouldn't be Jesus, by the way. But anyway, let's talk about something else. All right. All right. So what I'm saying is, is like I'm talking about your spiritual conversations. When you're talking about God, how does it end up focusing on or bringing people to Jesus? And then I want to ask you this. In your conversations about Jesus... How many times have you brought people to the understanding that they must repent of their sin, ask Jesus to be their Savior, and turn to God? I mean, just think about that for a minute. I'm not saying you have to use those words. You understand what I mean? I'm talking about when we bring a spiritual conversation with a person to a point in which they need to understand that they're not, they're believing in God isn't good enough. They have to repent of their sin turn to God in relationship and change the way they're living. How many times have we shared that with people? Yep. (laughs) See, like when we're preaching about this message, we look at those leaders and we look at people and we're like, wow, you guys are horrible. That's terrible. No wonder we're like, and then it's like, wait a minute. Like, what are we doing about this? So what I find is usually this is what Christians do. We ask if people believe in God. We ask if people believe in Jesus. We use that terminology, and we have to be very careful with this terminology because, you see, it's not just believing. These individuals who were persecuting the apostles believed in God. They did believe in God. They knew God was real. All right? People know God's real. I don't think anybody... The vast majority of our, of our people of our nation know God's real. All right. But see, it's not just that they believe that God is real. It's not even that they believe that Jesus is real. All right. We, again, need to know what God's word says because the word of God tells us something that I've read to you multiple times, but you know the verse. It's in James. See, the word of God tells us that the demons believe. Right? But they're not saved. 
They believe that God is real. They believe God created all things. They believe that Jesus is the Savior. They believe He died on the cross. He rose on the third day. Sent into heaven on the 40th. Sent the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. They believe He's coming again. They believe there's an eternal punishment. They believe in heaven and hell. They believe all of it. Actually, they have better faith than a lot of Christians. But they're not saved. They're damned. Do you know why? Because they believe. But they have not repented and turn towards God. Now I know they can't because their judgment has come and their final destination is there. But I want you to understand the truth. The truth is they believe it all. But they're damned. Because the key to a relationship with God is not just repentance. It's not just believing. It's turning to and away from. You say you have faith. For you believe that there's one God good for you, even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. That's James 2.19, just in case you're wondering where it was at. So in my conversations with Christians, uh, people, I'm saying like people that are called themselves Christians, so I don't mean that wrong. Let me rephrase that. In my conversation with Christian people as a pastor, when people come to me and talk to me about like friends or family that are dying, they're sick, or they have died, my first Request is, of course, we want to pray for their physical, but I care more about their soul than anything else. I want you to know that. If they get better, great, good, I'm glad. But if they don't know Jesus, it doesn't matter if they get better. Right? So I'm like, uh, do they, are they saved? And a lot of Christian people will say this to me. They believe in God. Well, good. Do they know Jesus? They believe in Jesus. Like, well, do they serve the Lord? Are they Christians? I really don't know. They don't go to church. They don't do this. I don't know how they, you know, I, I, don't, I can't judge them. That's our fallout. Christians, I'm talking to us. I, I really can't judge. I don't really know if they're saved. Yes, you do. You have to know if they're saved. If you can't tell the difference in their life, if they know Jesus or not, I don't think they do. Because God's Word says, turn to God. A new life begins. Christ's likeness enters. You begin to change. Don't tell me they believe. Know what they believe. Know who they know. Their soul is at stake. We can't get timid. We can't back off. It's their soul. It's the message of the church. It's the message of redemption from God. It's God trying to reach them so that they would know Him, not just believe. Man. See, when you truly believe in God, I mean, if you really believe God's real, don't you think you're going to want to be right with Him? Not everybody's right. I hate to tell you, but not everybody's going to a better place. I hear that every funeral I do. I'm like, man, you ought to read the Bible. It says there's only a few that are going to make it. But everybody, when they die, are going there. According to the words people say, I want you to know they're not. And where they're going is not a better place. They're not at rest. They're not at peace. It's eternal torment. You don't have to believe in in hell. God's Word says it exists. Your belief doesn't matter. Church, we're looking at God's Word here. We're listening to what God says. Do you know that God Himself said that He created hell? He created it. He created it for the devil 
and the demons that followed him. Okay, God never made that for humanity. God's word teaches us that. But the fact of the matter is that God planned that for their judgment. Therefore, those who followed Satan's ways, or let's just put it in a nicer way, those who have yet not found Jesus and don't repent, they're going to follow Satan's way. They end up in the same place. That's what God's word teaches us. But we don't want to hear that because we want people to know God loves them and there's no way a loving God, see that's where the atheists come in, there's no way a loving God would ever let something like that happen. Church, sin made all this happen. God didn't create sin, we did. God offered a remedy for sin and that remedy is Jesus only. That's kind of important for us to know and share with people. Okay. So, believe it or not, I'm on my action steps and it's only, you know, 10 after 12. So they may take me a while to get through. (laughs) So before we end up trying to preach to the world this Jesus thing, we probably should know we have this Jesus in our own life, right? So I'm asking you, church, not have you repented because you've probably been repenting for how long? I'm going to ask you this. Have you repented of your sin and turned towards God, beginning a relationship with Him? See, when the Spirit of God affirms that we're Christians, like the Bible teaches, like what Jesus said He would do, no one has to tell you, now you're saved. No one's going to give you a certificate or write your name in a record and say, now you're saved. Well, God is, but that's not the church. See, what I'm saying is, it's not anything that we do for you to save you. It is the work of God through Jesus Christ that saves us. And the Word of God says that the Holy Spirit bears witness to us that we are a child of God. So if you're just hoping you're saved or hoping someone else, you need to know. And you should know. God's Word says you will know. No one had to tell me. I was asking God to forgive me. And He did. And when He did, I knew. No preacher came and said, you're saved now. Nobody. I didn't get it when I got baptized. I got baptized because I got it. Church, I found Jesus. I should say He rescued me when I finally confessed to Him and I wanted it, my life changed by Him. And in that very moment, God changed me, and I know I'm saved. You can think anything you want about what I'm going to say right now. I don't really care. I'm not arrogant. I'm not cocky. I am so confident in my God and what He says that I know I'm saved. I know I'm in the relationship with God. I know the Holy Spirit's inside of me. All of that, not because of me, but because of what God said, and I believe Him. All right? People can judge if they want to. I don't care. I know what God says. I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm a child of God, and that is amazing. That's why I want everybody to know it. It's what you were made for. It's amazing. Do you know Him? I guess that's the point. Do you know you're saved? Man, I want everybody in this room, if you know you're saved, you should say it loud. If you don't know you're saved, today's the day. Today is the day of your salvation, says the Lord. Today. You've heard the message. I want you to know it's real. It's God's Word. It's not this church. It's God's word. So those of you that have said yes, I want to ask you, what has Jesus done in your life since that moment? What has he done? 
Just process that. See, the message is not about gifts, miracles, prophecies, and all the other stuff. It's all about Jesus. And if when you look at your own life, if you don't see that Jesus is in it, impacted it, changed it, and is changing it by the Holy Spirit and the revelation of truth, then you need to come back to God and ask Him to revisit you in that redemptive moment. So my last question in my action steps is this. Who are you sharing Jesus with? When will you share their need to repent and turn to God? So remember, let's go back to Acts for a second as we visit this. Don't you dare ever preach or teach in the name of Jesus again. I'm beating you. Don't ever do it. Don't ever do it. Don't ever do it. And the response to that was, and every day. They talked about Jesus. They preached about Jesus. They taught about Jesus. So here's my challenge, believers. Every day this week, every day, you need to look for opportunities and speak Jesus. And not just talk about Him, like I said earlier, but the Holy Spirit leading, God will give you opportunity every day this week. To not just share Jesus, but let people know they need to repent of their sin and turn to God every day this week. See, that's how a move of God happens. It's when the people of God embrace God and the message of God, which is Jesus. And then a world changes around them. So as we look in God's word and we follow it through Acts, we'll notice that the the move of God started in Jerusalem. And as it spread, it went exactly like Jesus said it would. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So just think this through for a second. God, let's begin in Tucson, Pima County, Arizona, and the world. It's got to start somewhere. When I got saved and I began to read God's word, I fell in love with God's word. I fell in love with God he changed me. I was a miserable wreck before him. He changed me. I saw the world different. I saw people different. I wanted to know God. As I read his word and I watched what happened, as I read through the book of Acts, that move of God. And then as I grew in my faith and I began to study and I looked at church history and I saw how there were moments in our history where the message of Jesus began to impact culture And there was what is termed in secular world, great awakenings. We have had two great awakenings since the book of Acts that swept the globe that called people to Jesus. You can do a little research later and find out about those. As I studied those and I read God's word, I'm like, God, before I die, I want to be a part of that. God, I want to see that happen. I want to be a part of a move of God where communities and cities are changed. Jerusalem was changed with the message. It didn't become a happy place. Don't miss that. As a result of the move of God, actually persecution happened. So I'm not praying, praying, I want you to hear this right when I say this. I'm not praying, oh God, bring peace and prosperity to the United States. I'm saying, God, bring repentance and revival to the United States, even if it costs us. God, it's about a move of you. I want to live in that. 
I have asked God that since I turned to him as a 19-year-old boy. God, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part. Use me. Let me be on the front. I want to know that. And now, church, I want you to know, as I look at our city, I look at our country, and I look at our world, we are in need of the message of Jesus. We are open to the message of Jesus because people are in utter chaos, broken by sin, messed up on every front. There is no such thing as healthy relationships out there. People are jacked up to the tilt. Man, it's like jacked up everywhere. Come on. You know it is. It's in need of Jesus. And if we in the church would embrace that message and share that message, people will turn to Him. And when they turn to Him, they tell other people, every day from house to house to the church and the church of Jesus Christ gets elevated because Jesus gets elevated. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you. We thank you for your word, for the teaching that you share with us. God, we are asking you to move. We need you to move in the chaos and the brokenness of our world. In the desperate condition that we find ourselves, we need you, God. We need repentance and turning to you. Lord, it begins right here in God's house. In your house, it begins with us. If there's anyone here that knows because the Spirit of God has revealed to you that you need to repent and turn to God today, would you please come forward and do that? If you're at home and you need help with that, please contact us. Reach out to the office. We will personally help you. Please, church, I'm asking you, if you need to come to the altar, please come to the altar. If you need to repent as a believer, the fact that you have just simply believed and not really shared Jesus, we need to repent of that. We need God to move, and it starts with me and you. So, Father, we continue here, and we thank you for moving among us. Thank you for the revelation of truth that is in your word in our life. Now, Lord, lead us. Let us go out each day this week and share Jesus with someone. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Hey, these guys that are at the altar, you pray for them. We're going to ask you to dismiss out these doors over here. So glad you're here today. God bless you. Thank you. God is good, isn't he? He's amazing. Thank you, Jesus.